0: We are going to conclude um, Family February today. Today's the last Sunday of February, and if you've been with us at all, you'll recall, I've just taken this month to kind of talk about family life and trying to do my best to talk about many different aspects of family life, many different kinds of family life, because um, that's the reality we live in, right? Um, Everybody's family is a little bit different, and some of our family is a lot of it different, And when you become a Christian, you actually join God's family, which has somewhere over a billion people in it, and a lot of them are dead, but they're still alive because nobody in God's family actually dies. Sometimes your body um, conks out on you, and you go and be alive directly with Jesus, but um, they're all still alive. Even the the dead members of our family are more alive than the living people who aren't members of our family right now which is kind of weird to think about. And so I I think about that sometimes. You're preaching and you're talking about someone from the Bible who is a saint but maybe wasn't living so good and you're talking about their failures and then you remember you're going to see them someday. And it's like, (laughs) oh, I'm glad they're sanctified so we can, you know, it won't be like a what you've been talking about me at church kind of conversation. What am I talking about? I'm I'm calling the church to be a family for the glory of God wherever kind of family we're at, we've got biological families, we've got adoptive families, we've got foster families, we've got local church families, because though it's true we are part of God's family with a billion people about, Uh, most of us are only going to meet maybe a few thousand of them, or have relationships with a few hundred of them, or have real like core relationship with a few dozen of them, and so there's local church family, there's family of God family, there's your own family, there's empty nest families, there's families with grandchildren and great-grandchildren spread out through the world, families, Um, there's all different kinds of experiences of it. And yet, there is one call from God for each one of us, and that is to seek to glorify God in the families we're in. We have one job. It's to know God, Love him, glorify him, whatever our situation is. And so I've been kind of doing my best to do this, but every once in a while veering off to the people with lots of young kids because um, we need all the help we can get. All right, let's hit that next slide. My call for us again this morning, and it's the call for the rest of our life, is to kind of embrace two realities. Number one, that I am in a family for the glory of God. Whatever, whatever that means, the church, Calvary Chapel family, a physical family, um, a legal family, adoptive family, I'm here to bring glory to God. And I'm also kind of saying that families exist to produce godly offspring. Families exist to launch out people, to, to multiply, to have babies or disciples, and then to send them out to do that job as well. And so today I want to focus on um, the fact that families require training. Families require training. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go from there. Would you please join with me? Father, would you just come? Come be amongst us. God, you're a good father. And a big part of your good fathering of us is to love us with all your heart. And to want us to know and walk in the truth. And so you intervene in our lives to change things and to change us so that we'll be living the truth and knowing your love in ways that we don't without you doing something. And that's training. So God, would you move in power today? I pray, Lord, you get into our brains and adjust and tweak everything that needs tweaking to help move us along as people in the family of God, knowing that everybody needs to change. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. All right. Only one service. If I get going too long, you guys can quietly organize a skip the dishes order, or I'll... Jake and Marianne can go get a couple hundred bits or something like that, and we can hand it around like a reverse offering plate. All right. Training. If you're in a family, um, there's training going on. If you're a parent, kind of your job is to take them from a crying poop machine to able to survive on their own. But as a Christian family, it's more than that. It's to, from the crying poop machine all the way through to launching to glorify God as they contribute to families in their own way, whether it's a church family or starting their own family. And with all this being said, before I launch in, I, you know what? I, I, okay, Robert Bell for a moment, I've got lots of thoughts in my brain. So if this seems like one of the more disorganized sermons, um, you're welcome. And it'll be online and you can always review but here we go. In God's family, there, there are two really legitimate ways to be part of the family. You can kind of get married and start your own family, or you can embrace a, a single celibate life unto the Lord. And if you read through the New Testament, when you do that, starting in March, read through the entire New Tem- Testament, you'll notice that the Apostle Paul actually says that the single journey is a great one because you get to give all your time to Jesus and you don't spend so much time worrying about what your spouse is thinking or doing or feeling. News flash, married people do spend a lot of time worrying about what their spouse is thinking or feeling or doing. So the Bible's true, and the single life is blessed. And both married life and single life is really hard. And so just as somebody who gets access into a lot of people's lives, we, we all experience a ton of pain. And so it's no good looking at one or the other and thinking that the grass is greener on the other side. We're actually supposed to hear the Word of God. We have different problems, and we all have problems, but we can actually all follow Jesus. And the single life is actually has some real advantages to it because you can walk with God in a different kind of way. And I think the thing that undercuts us is we, we've, we kind of forget to believe that and encourage each other, like, we're here to glorify God, not to be married or not. Or to be parents or not. We're here to glorify God. And if that's our journey, the call is to, whatever your situation is, what does it look like to glorify God now? Because guess what? Nobody here actually controls the future. Nobody here actually can maintain their singleness or marriage necessarily a week from now or a month from now. Like, we're not in control. All we have is this daily call from the Father I love you, I'm with you, I've given you my son, I've given you my spirit, believe my word, trust in me and glorify me in your situation because it's going to change. And everybody in this room, young and old, one day is going to receive a shovel full of dirt in the face and you'll be with Jesus forever. And our entire eternities will be influenced by one question. Did you glorify God where you were at? Right? Because... Jesus gives every single one of us a different life. Every single one of us, a a very different life. And the question is, were we faithful? Did we look to God? Did we trust him? Did we weep with him? Did we suffer with him? Did we keep coming back? Were we faithful with the life he gave us? Because every single one of us has a different life. Amen? Okay. End of parentheses. End of preface. That was just the trailer for a different movie. (laughs) Ever been in a movie where you wish you were watching the trailer instead of the movie you're actually sitting down for? Hopefully that's not your experience this morning. Okay, next slide, please. If you're in God's family, God is training you. In one sense, that is your life. Every single moment of your day is God training you, God working to change us. So... um, And so I want to read three chunks of scripture to give, I hope, a full picture of what this means, okay? So I'm going to jump over to Romans chapter 8. And this is what the, the Apostle Paul writes. And I kind of apologize, I'm going to just be dipping in and out without too much context. But the Apostle Paul writing to people who are Christians, he says, And we know, this is verse 28, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those he, he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Period. I'm just gonna stop there. Okay? Some of the biggest sentences in all of Scripture you could spend weeks and months preaching on, but I'm just gonna stop there. The apostle saying that we know as Christians that all things are working together for our good. And then he begins to explain part of why and what he's thinking. He says, because we know that those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. And I just want to just pick on the predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. Your destiny, Christian, this is what I'm just going to rehash this thing, your destiny is to look like Jesus. Your destiny is to have the character of Jesus and the feelings of Jesus and the thoughts of Jesus and the heart of Jesus. This is your predestined future. And I don't even need a crystal ball. This is what is going to happen to you. I'm already on the pulpit and it's not even, It's only three past eleven. So when you're, when you're wondering what's going to happen in your life, this is your future. And for sure, for sure, for sure, that job will be completed at the beginning of the resurrection of the dead when we are raised and given new bodies that have not known sin and are free from the temptation of sin. We will be us acting like Jesus. And you'll still have yourself and you'll still know yourself and you'll still feel like yourself, but you'll sure look a lot like Jesus and act a lot like Jesus and feel a lot like Jesus and think a lot like Jesus. This is God's plan. You're being conformed into the likeness of Jesus. And then you back it up a little bit and that is why we know that everything in the universe is working for our good. Because under the sovereignty of God everything is intended to help us be more like Jesus in this life. Easily said, not easily experienced. Right? But guess what? I I, want to lead a church that looks like a bunch of freakazoids to average people. Because what in the world is the point of being a Christian if you ain't going to live like one and think like one and feel like one? So much so that people who aren't Christian go, what is wrong with you? And then you can say, it's actually what's right that I want to talk to you about. What's right with me. But this is what God is working on making you to be like Jesus, training you. There's the T word, to be like Jesus. And Paul is saying, God is so committed to this and so good at this that we can look at everything and say, this is working for my good because it is going to help produce by faith and by the grace of God, Jesus in me. Amen? Okay, so boom, right off the bat. Let's start with the heavy stuff. Why, why throw around the five-pound weights? I don't even know why people make five-pound weights. Let's just go straight to the 45s. <laughs> Anyhow. Next scripture from Hebrews chapter 12. As God is training us, he uses discipline. The author of Hebrews writing to the church or the, the Jewish Christians who are being tempted to turn away from Jesus because they're being persecuted, they're having their stuff seized, they're going to jail, they're being mistreated, they're being shunned, they're being rejected. And he says to them, this is chapter 12, starting verse 3, "...consider him," meaning Jesus, "...who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, have you not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood?" Pause, parentheses. If you're anything like me, you can think that sometimes you have a good excuse to sin. The scriptural level is if you don't look like a bloodbath from resisting sin, you could have done better. Okay, so end of parentheses. Because we lie to ourselves in order to protect our feelings. That was last Sunday. But you don't have to live like that because protected feelings don't produce spiritual fruit. Okay, so truth, 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 and then you back up to two weeks ago, love, 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 and then you back up to three weeks ago, it's all for the glory of God. Amen? Okay, let's keep going here. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Ladies, you get addressed as sons, don't freak out about it, it's a good thing. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So two weeks ago, being in God's family is about how much he loves us. This week, if he loves us, he will discipline us to remove from us the things that aren't Jesus and give us the things that are Jesus so that we look like Jesus. And we don't want to be disciplined Because we don't want to be conformed. And we don't want to be loved. Why? Because we're worried we're not loved in the first place. But you are loved. So much. And every good thing and every hard thing comes to us through the loving care of a Father who controls every single molecule and every electron that flies around in this universe. He knows it all and He plans it all out to bless you in love. And there are some experiences that are just so hard that you just can't even imagine that it's true. And in that moment, you're meant to look to the cross of Christ where the Son of God was tortured and bleeding and broken and rejected and hated and even going underneath the wrath of God himself and remember that Jesus went through the worst thing ever in love and in truth to have us. And if God can resurrect his son and place him on the throne of heaven to bring eternal life to billions of people, he can take everything we might ever go through and say, this is for a glorious purpose intended in some sense by the love of a good father. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Remember, he's saying this to a church that's being rejected and persecuted and going to jail for the name of Jesus. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And if you are left without discipline in which you've all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good that we might share in His holiness. Do you remember I talked about being conformed to the likeness of Jesus? Here it says we're disciplined to share in His holiness. Same thing. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Can I get a hallelujah? For the moment, all discipline seems painful. I should get an amen out of that. Amen. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Can I get an amen? <laughs> okay, we, we want to live in reality here. My discipline didn't seem painful. It wasn't discipline then. No, sometimes parents have kids, and they're a little bit like shy of the spanking, so they put on the diaper, then they put on the underwear, then they put on the pants, then they put on the snow pants, and they give them one little boop, boop, I disciplined. No, you did it. And the kids do their, like, fake cry thing. (laughs) Can I go back to being bad now? It's not discipline. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained for it. Peaceful fruit of righteousness conformed to the likeness of Christ, sharing in God's holiness. It's all the same and in this passage, the author of Hebrews is being just really like, you know what, we're going to hurt if we're going to be like Jesus. And that shouldn't be surprising, right? We, we We raise our hands to a man God who was crucified. So if this man God turns around and says, there's going to be some suffering for you too in this life, we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus told us, right? If they treat the master like this, how are they going to treat the master's servants? And so it's like, it's unavoidable, it's all unavoidable and we just live in a fallen world which means people's bodies break and our minds melt down over time and uh, you can get hit by things and your kids can throw a wiffle ball in the basement and hit you right in the temple and or you can hit them in the same place but nothing was recorded on television so it's his word against mine and so we. Ju- it just, it's just going to hurt and the reality behind all the pain is that it it all will work by faith for our good. And as we see that the best thing that can happen to us in life is to glorify God by becoming more like Jesus in every situation, then we can in, begin to say, okay, thanks. Maybe not in the moment. It can be like, I think even scripture says, you know, when you're the height in the discipline season, God isn't necessarily expecting you to say, yay, this is fun. It's not fun. You're supposed to kind of say, ouch, and what do I need to learn? <laughs> you know? I want to learn it fast. I do I need to learn? Like, <laughs> I'm ready to change. Oh, that's funny how that happens. I'm ready to change. When we're ready to change, that's, that is the love of the Father bringing us there. Amen? So God uses discipline, but that's not the only thing he uses. And I, and, I, and I want to say this because if, if we kind of think that disciplining is the only thing that works, then it's only half the story. And so I want to jump over to Second Corinthians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul talks about what is actually as much transforming as any kind of pain is. Because pain can touch a lot of things, but it can't actually give a new heart. Amen? Like you can, you can use discipline and training to get people to do a lot of things, but you can't actually give them a new heart. God-loving heart with it. And so the Apostle Paul, and this is, 2 Corinthians is already one of the most chaotic letters in the entire New Testament, but he has this great moment where he's just talking about the Lord, and he's talking about how Jewish people can read the Old Testament scriptures in this first century, but unless they see Jesus, it's like they've got a veil over them. The same way that Moses in the Old Testament times, when he would meet with God and his face would shine with glory. People were scared, and so he put a veil over his face. And he said that that veil persists. And now he he says, "Um, but that's not our story as believers. So this is chapter 3, verse 17. He says, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There's a lot going on there, but I just want, did you hear the echo there? You're being transformed into the image of God. That's what Romans 8 talks about. But what is Paul talking about? He's not talking about discipline specifically. He's saying, as you, with your blinders taken off, are beholding the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are being transformed into his likeness from one step to the next, from one degree of glory to another, little by little, until you see him face to face, without any blinders, in your resurrected body, in all of his glory, and in that moment you will be just like him because you will have seen him as he truly is. This is my favorite way to change today. Discipline's great. It's not fun. Seeing Jesus in his glory is the greatest way to change. And I don't want to pit them against each other because God's a good father and he knows sometimes when we need to see more and sometimes when he needs to get our attention through through unpleasantness. He, he's really good at this. But if you hear me talking about glory lots and living for his glory, it's like, hear the word of God. If you want to change... See Jesus. If you want to become freer, see the glory of Christ in a new way. That's what the Bible says. This is what changes people. When you, without the blinders of the lies of the enemy, without the blinders of the misunderstandings, without the blinders of how we feel guilty and ashamed and like God can't love us, when the Holy Spirit is here, And he speaks the miracle. And you get it a little bit more who Jesus is. You don't just get it a little bit more. You're changed to be like him a little bit more. Which is amazing. It's a process. From one degree of glory to the next. Who here wishes that they were perfect today? Lord bless y'all. Cut it out. It ain't helping you. It's not the way. The way is one degree of glory to the next. Okay? Sorry. <laughs> it's, like, it's my job. I don't get, get paid to deceive yous. I could probably get paid more somewhere. but Okay, let's hit the next slide. Some guidelines for being used by God for training. Because God could, if he wanted to, just send us an angel every time we needed to know something, but he doesn't. He uses people. He uses people. If God wanted to, you know, a lady could give birth to a baby and Michael could show up and be like, we want to make sure this one's right, so me and us angels are going to raise this child by miracle. He could. And just like like Mowgli in the jungle, but instead of with animals, it's just angels. But he doesn't. He wants to use us, right? He wants to use us. So if you have kids, or you have grandkids, or you have adopted nieces and nephews, um, you're, you're on duty. This is part of our mission, to help form Christ by faith in people. And so here's a few, just some guidelines for being a part of training. Number one, it's not about me. Raising kids is not about me. Discipling disciples is not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's just not about me. What's it about? Yeah. It's about Jesus. It's about the glory of God. I'm in a family, Calvary Chapel. I'm in a family, the Balfour household, for the glory of God. And guess what? All of our little babies, they were Jesus's first. He put them there. He knit them together in each mother's womb. He knew what he was working on before we ever saw that ultrasound, 3D ultrasound face, jobby, they're they're so his. And the crazy thing is that before we ever met even one of the kids, Jesus wrote their story in his book, Psalm 139. Every day that you formed for me was written in your book before I even had one. That isn't just true about us, it's true about them too. Amen? I just think these thoughts to remind myself, it's not about me, because guess how I want it to be about me? Well, I want to be a good dad. Kids, you gotta, you got to behave so I can feel like a good dad. Or I want to be respected. Kids, you got to respect me because I have feelings and I want those feelings to be met by be feeling... Re- okay, no, it's, it actually is not about me and my desires. And some of those desires are fine, right? They're good. But if I forget that it's about the Lord first, I, I do not do well. So you want to be a good mom, you want to be a good dad, remind yourself regularly that God loves me. And Jesus is for me, and I can get everything I need from him. And this isn't about me. It's not a performance. It's not a competition. It's not like every day I wake up to justify myself by how I do or by how the kids do. This is a gift and a mission from Jesus. Amen? And i was i to keep going here, because... 'Cause I'm almost out of time, so I'll keep going here on the sidetrack. You know, I was in on Friday I was I was working on the sermon and I was just thinking about how often I've been frustrated as a parent or as a disciple maker or whatever you want to call it. And it just dawned on me afresh that every problem that I will ever have in trying to help people grow into the likeness of Christ is a gift. Because I only got saved at eighteen. And I did enough stuff before 18 that I really sh- God should have just killed me. I did enough stuff that's like 10 commandment wrong that God should have just taken me to the judgment seat and sent me to the lake of fire before any of this even happened. So all of my problems that I have by being a Christian and being part of the church and being able to get married before I got killed and having kids before I got killed, all these problems, they are grace. I don't deserve even one of them to even have the potential to be part of someone's character being formed in Christ, being used by God. I, I, really, I really should have gone to hell first. And so I use that truth just to remind me. It's not about me. It's grace. And I really hope I remember this this afternoon and tomorrow morning and all those times when there's actually people around me and I'm not just in my prayer closet. It's not about me, right? You know, I, one more little sidetrack. Okay, I know these are hard messages and everyone can feel guilty and discouraged. Okay, the Belfors have been through enough in the last three days that we are with you if you feel discouraged, okay? God is so kind. He preps me every single message. He sends me hard and bad things every week that are like, this totally is the message. Okay, Like, I get to fail at every message I do, either before or a few minutes after. So I'm with you, okay? We're in this together. Number, point number two, anger almost never helps when it comes to forming Christ in people. Uh, James says, oh, it's worth skipping over to it. I think it's the beginning of, of uh, chapter two but it could be the end of chapter 1, so I'll leave you in suspense. Okay, chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This is one of those memory verses for me personally. I've had a long journey of dealing with internal anger and offense. And the reality is is that human-centered anger, Robert balfour centered anger, will never produce the character of Christ in anybody. God has cursed that attempt, okay? He has said, I refuse to participate with Robert Belfer's selfish anger. I will never form Christ in anybody's heart because of Rob being angry selfishly, the anger of man, okay? And I have to remind myself this because you can think, if I just get angry enough, then they'll stop or if I just get angry enough, then they'll change. They might change, but it's not the kind of change God is working on, Right? So just and, and the Bible knows people. It doesn't say never be angry like we can do that, but in Ephesians it says, in your anger do not sin. You're going to feel angry, probably lots, but when you're angry, don't sin. Amen? If you need to take five, take a breather, take a chill pill, have a Pepsi, turn on a show, collect yourself, pray, submit to the Lord, and then deal with the issue, you should do that. Never send the email angry. Okay? Please hear the voice of my experience telling you. Never send the email. Because then you just have more stuff to apologize for. There's this little rule. Somebody said it once. It's like if you're the parent and you're trying to get your kids to stop sinning by sinning at them, you're disqualified and you should. they just get away with it. That's the thing. It's like you're like, well, you did this, but then I did this, so you don't get disciplined for that. Right? Because I'm the adult in the room. It was a good idea. i never done it, but it's a good idea. heard about somebody doing that one time. Maybe, maybe someone should make a movie about that. <sighs> Another rule of thumb, the older they get, the less control we want. Right? Some people are like, what are you talking about? When they come out, it's like little kids are born into like prison, right? They go wherever you take them. They have to sleep when you tell them to. They only get what you feed them to eat. They're they're like maximum security inmates. And because they're so weak, there's never a riot. Right? But you don't want them to stay like that, and they won't. The journey is to help them grow and take on responsibility and you move more from just telling them what to do to helping them think through what to do so that by the time you launch them, hopefully they actually are able to think through stuff from a heart of faith with biblical worldview and help make their own choices, not necessarily independently in community, right? Because that's how we're supposed to do it. But it's just a good reminder, we are going to have to give up control. So let's embrace that process and help them grow. And again, all of these things are easier said than done. All right. Oh, my goodness. We're almost done, and I've got three whole slides to do. Let's hit the next slide. Parenting. Let me, let me, because I haven't ta- talked to the parents much yet. I'm going to focus on them a little bit. Um, th- you know what? Reality check, as soon as you you think that you might have conceived, the barrage of parenting advice starts coming at you. There's like 17,000 books, and two of them agree with each other, but you have to read all the books. And then, uh, yeah, and then the, the parents who are a few years ahead of you start telling you what it's going to be like. And then the parents who are way ahead of you say, "Don't worry about it." And then it's like, bah, and it's so important. And there's already the blah, blah 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 blah, and it's so. And then the Facebook, and then the Huffington Post for some reason thinks that they should teach you how to raise children. And then the same government that says you, you're okay to abort them wants to tell you whether or not you can spank them. And it's like, yeah. can I just say that is so stupid. It's just, that is just hellish, evil, dumb. Yeah. And they don't get it. So, there you go. On the other hand, but this is what I said. I just want to focus on one thing today. Just one thing, one thing, one thing, the one thing. If you read through the New Testament, as, a, as far as I remember, if you have an example that I haven't thought of, please email me. There's only one time in the New Testament, two examples of one command that God actually gives to the children. Where he addresses the children directly. It's in Ephesians chapter 5, I think, and Colossians 3, where it says, Children, obey your parents. One says, Children, obey your parents, for this is right. And then he quotes the Ten Commandments honor your father and mother, so it might go well with you and you live long in the land. And the Apostle Paul says, This promise of a good long life is still available to the sons and daughters of Christian parents if you'll do this. That promise is still available. It's not law, it's a promise. And then in Colossians, it says the same things. Obey your mother and father, for this pleases the Lord. Hey, parents, this is the one thing. God has told them. He wants them to learn to obey you. And you know what nobody is allowed to do? Let somebody off the hook for obeying God. So this is the one thing if they never learn how to ride a bike, or never learn how to swim, or never learn to appreciate hot sauce, which is a parenting fail, if they never learn to love bacon, if they never learn to love chicken wings, if they never go to Africa, if they never do a lot of things, that's okay. Because God hasn't called everybody to everything in the same way. The one thing he's called them to is to learn to obey mom and dad. And, and, and I love this. Do you know why? I'm really sensitive to this stuff. God never told me to make them obey me. Right? Like I get to take it personally. We talked about this. My job is actually to help and serve them. They were born into a world where God's already talked to them. And so I get to help them. In my best moments. In my worst moments, I forget all this stuff and it's just all adrenaline. (laughs) And then I get to spend the rest of my day repenting. And being thankful that God's mercies are new every morning. And so you got to go to bed early so you can get to those mercies as quickly as possible. Anybody else? True story? Okay, amen, hallelujah. (laughs) Some people put a few few extra R's into that Hebrew word that actually ends with an A, but whatever. Um, This is the one thing that we should be praying for. Is this the hardest thing? Yeah, sometimes but it's the one thing. And so we need to just take it seriously. And this is what I'm calling you to. Because God has taken it seriously enough to specifically address them, when as parents we ask the kids to do something, that is what we are doing right now. That we, You stop. And this is what you're working on. Because this is God's one thing. Okay. So I'm a bit of a scatterbrain, so I, I'm too often in the habit of being like, Josh, go downstairs and... Fix everything and make everything look awesome, and then I get off doing my own thing. That is not serving anybody well, right? This is the one thing. So if if parents, if you're going to ask your kids to do everything, that is what you're doing. You got to do the follow-up, and you got to do the the help and the correction as it's needed. And as I've gotten older and realized I'm not super great at this because I'm a bit too scatterbrained, I'm actually trying to change myself to make it help better. So when I want the kids to do something, I'll often be like, okay, kids, bell for kids, I'm going to explain something I want you to do. Okay, everybody, do I have your attention? I'm about to tell you something I want you to do, and my expectation is that you are going to listen and do a good job. Okay, the standard is cheerful and quick, so no eye-rolling and no back-chat and no negotiating. I am expecting everyone to obey me when I tell you to do. You can get a clarification if you need to, but not one of those lawyer-y clarifications where you're actually just stalling and hoping I'll forget and then hoping my cell phone will go off and then I'll forget that I'm telling you to do off. So is everybody ready to obey? Wow. Okay, And then they usually are. Because I haven't just gone, do that that from upstairs. <laughs> and they just think I'm yelling at the TV or something like that. And then he comes up and says, when you know the earth, you on the, Bible, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. <laughs> yeah, I'm embellishing a little bit, but I've done stuff like this. Never got their attention, never helped them to understand, never dealt with them like their little kids, because they're little kids. I want, you want to set them up for success, right? And then when they do it, you can be like, hey, you pre- pleased me and the Lord. This is great. You can have one of the 1,800 Timbits that are frozen in our freezer right now. Just kidding. It's like 20. And they're more frozen in our garage garbage can than the freezer, but they're still good, I'm sure, because it's negative 20 outside. Do you hear my heart behind this? This is God's one thing, so when we ask them to do something, this is what we're doing. And every kid is different. So every parent has an opportunity to feel like every other parent has it better than you. But who's got the mission in this moment with the kid? You do. So just glorify the Lord and do your best and pray and look for God to do the work because God's the one who changes hearts. But, but this is the important part is just remembering we don't have the option. We don't get to say, I want to be a slack parent or a modern parent or an easygoing parent or I have a high chaos threshold. Great. But nobody's off the hook for this. This is the God of the universe has said, I gave you this child to learn how to do this. And I think the reason why this is so important to God is because these kids are called to grow up and do what? Honor and glorify God. How do you honor and glorify God? You obey when he speaks. You believe him and you respond well. So this is the training. This is the thing. Amen? Amen? This is the heart of hearts. What glorifies God? God, you, you talked. I believe you. I will respond well with cheerfulness. God, like, I never meet anybody like you. Right? Do you remember that whole scene? Jesus and the centurion. And, and the centurion said, he's got this servant. I'm totally off the notes now. And the servant is sick. Blah, blah, blah. And he's throwing up. Parents, anybody had some bodily fluids flowing out of people's bodies in your house today? Empty nesters, Remember. And be grateful. (laughs) And the bodily fluids, and it's a big deal. And it's like, you want the best care now. And the centurion says, go and help. Go ask Jesus to heal this guy. And somebody goes, and it's a long time. There's no cell phones or cars. They walk and find him. Jesus says, I will come and heal this person. And the centurion is so full of faith that he's like, you don't even need to come. What parent doesn't want the doctor to come? Right, you want the best care. Get Jesus in here now, and make sure he's been praying along the way, and you know, and that there's lots of oil because oil is important for healing. There's got to be the oil and maybe some frankincense too. You got to, and he's just like, I trust you, Jesus, so much you don't even need to come. And Jesus says, I I have never met anybody like this yet. Okay. How did the centurion know how to treat Jesus? Because he was used to taking orders as a soldier. He said, look, I understand orders. Some, if my boss tells me what to do and I don't do it, the the guys come with the swords, they kill me. And so if Jesus gives my sick servant an order, he has to obey. Okay? It, there is something about knowing God in this. And if you're an older kid, if you're not in children's ministry, guess whose job it is to learn to obey mom and dad? Your job. Because God talked to you first. It doesn't say parents make your kids obey. It says you. If, you. if you came out of somebody at this church, but you're old enough to not be in children's ministry, you can do this. And you know what? It doesn't matter if your parents don't care. God cares. He wants to give you a blessing for doing this. And you know what? You will experience an unblessing if you don't. You want a lot of trouble in your life? Think you can ignore God's word on this. Yep. And if, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, a few people said yep, and you can ask them about it. I'll hook you up. Okay, one more thing. Oh my goodness, the time, the time is... Fast and slow. One more page. Let's hit the next page. The next, I just need one more. There. Okay. When people are family together, we misbehave. Anybody notice that? We, we are sinners, and we, we sin, and we treat each other like junk, which means you're going to have to fix it. Pastors, elders, community group leaders, friends, older people, parents, you got to fix the junk. So in one sense, every single home, whether it's Calvary Chapel or the place where you live, you are a court. And there's a judge, whether it's mom or dad or Pastor Rob or Pastor Dave or Tony. We've got to get Tony doing that more often. There is somebody with authority to punish the guilty and acquit the innocent and to render justice when needed. Amen? You don't think about it that much. You say, I'm having a baby. It's like, yeah, you better get a law degree because you're about to become a judge, jury, and sometimes executioner and police officer. Right? That's how it works. Home justice, it is a thing. You know what really helps with home justice? Learning from the actual legal system. When somebody's accused of a crime, they're actually supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. Right? So you come into the room. Let's just say it's a Sunday school room upstairs. And there's a kid on the ground bleeding all over their face. And there's two kids standing over them. You you don't get to just go, you two, downstairs. (laughs) You don't know what happened. Right? Or you come downstairs and the valuable thingy is smashed. And the kid is standing over it. The, the kid you know is the most, like, wiry and athletic. They're standing over the thingy, and it's smashed. And you know what's happened. <laughs> Except you don't know what just happened. Right? Right? Exactly. Got to check the tape. So people, even little kids are innocent till proven guilty. And people should get a chance to provide a case for their defense. Am I just making this stuff up? Do you remember in the garden when they ate the fruit and they hid in the bushes and God showed up? He knows what just happened. Did he just? Was it just thunderbolts? He's just like, bushes destroyed. No, he shows up. Hey, where is everybody? Innocent until proven guilty. Where is everybody? Well, we were hiding <laughs> from your omniscience. Just checking it out, seeing if you're omniscient still. I'm sorry. Oh, man. This isn't going on the net after all. We can get you a hard copy. And then God starts asking questions. He starts asking questions. So why are you hiding? Did you eat the fruit? Why did you do it? Everybody except for Satan got a chance to provide a defense. Because Satan doesn't get a defense; he's condemned already, cast out of heaven. So unless you're talking to Satan, you, you probably you need to. Okay, so what happened? Like justice requires that. Okay, so what happened? And right, you know, you can tell right away. I, the rule of thumb is: is the longer they're talking, the more guilty they are. And it works with adults too. So what's going on? Well, this this time when I was 17, and then I was driving the same thing, and then then Trump, uh, I kept running to Trump, and Trump, and uh, I started out Trump. Okay, you're really probably not doing well. If it's like, Jimmy did it. Okay, they're probably telling the truth. <laughs> Except not always. Because sometimes a kid lies just like Adam and Eve do. They, they twist the truth, they bend the truth. you got to get good at this. And sometimes you can't actually sort things out, and so you just got to let it go. There's been a few times you have, I've had two kids are yelling at each other, they, do, they, do, they're mostly, you know, they, they tell the exact same story against each other. I'm just like, God, I can't figure this out. So, Lord, would you, would you take care of this? Would you discipline how it needs to be disciplined or bring this situation up again? We're just going to clean up the mess. Because like, you can't do it justly. Right, And even in real life, there are people who don't go to jail for things they should because you can't prove it. And it bugs you, but then you should just pray. Well, God, you know what happened. And you know what happens when you pray when people don't go to jail for what they should go to jail for? O.J. breaks into somebody's apartment trying to steal memorabilia. And he goes away for the rest of his life for something else. God is not mocked. And he's on parent's side as we look to him in faith. Amen? Amen. Um, Oh, we talked about a little bit about admissible facts, like you actually can look for evidence towards something happening or not. Um, Something you can do to bless people you're leading and disciplining is there should be predictable consequences for when they do stuff. So if they do something one time and it's, you know, into your crib and they do the exact same thing another time and you look at it and laugh and smile. That's always helpful. It should be kind of a predictable thing. You've probably heard this before. And good restorative justice. If you're ever going to discipline, kind of like looking for obedience, you're committing yourself to doing the whole process well. Talking it through, rendering a discipline, and then coming back and talking and making sure everyone's okay and that relationship is restored and you can have a hug and go and play together without anybody being embittered. That's that's how families need to work. It needs to be restorative justice. And if you need to fix your sister's bed because you've messed it up or whatever, consequences that fit crimes are good things in general. All right. I know I'm really just briefly talking on that, but it's worth talking about. One last slide and then we can almost be done. Helping each other follow Christ in a local church. Okay, so now we're not talking about the family-family stuff anymore. All the kids are like, phew, that was tough. I hope mom and dad don't remember anything that was said. Maybe if I behave myself for two days, everyone will forget. We can go back to being normal. Because they're tricksy like that. I know your ways. You're tricky, tricksy older, younger people. Trixie. They're smarter than they let on. So we'll talk about church life. Kate. Okay. Reality check, we are all going to need somebody to help us see something we're doing that isn't in the character of Christ sometime, right? Present company included. I need a lot of help. When we feel like we need to talk to somebody, it's really good to check our motives a lot. And as close as we can get to doing it for the glory of Jesus, the more fruitful it's going to be sometimes if it's revenge sometimes if it's we're bugged sometimes people step on our pet peeves i've been corrected one or two times just because i said something that sounded like something somebody said at somebody's old church that they didn't like and then they don't like me because i sounded like i was saying something that somebody said at their old church that they didn't like and so they should check their motives right you know what i mean why am i mad at this guy well he sounds like my old pastor okay great maybe you should be mad at your old pastor Check your motives, and by God's grace, ask him to make them for his glory. And if all of a sudden, when you're feeling like you're motivated by his glory and you don't remember why you were upset, then praise God. We're usually most qualified to talk to somebody to help them when we don't want to do it. Right? It's this thing, like, I love them, I care about them, I'm willing to put up with a lot from them. Why talk to them? That's usually the sign that you're most qualified to actually talk to them. And if we really want to talk to them right now, watch your qualifications. It's those who are most spiritual amongst us who are called to help another brother who is caught in a sin. Amen? And again, we all fall down lots of ways, but we want to be like Christ. Remember gracious speech. There's a proverb somewhere that says, harsh words stirs up wrath, but a gentle tongue, something, something good. Remember your gracious speech and remember your lots of patience. You and I both know how slowly we change, right? You and I both know how slowly we change. How many people just wished that they were different? They put up their hands. Do you know what? If somebody does something that hurts you, they probably wish they were different. Isn't it true? So we just need lots of love and patience for each other. Okay, so some of you sitting there going, I don't come to no church to talk about this real of real life. That's okay. Um, did you know I, I, I laugh sometimes that I get to do this or have to do this because I'm one of the least loving people ever and uh, regularly, regularly are very discouraged about what comes out of me. But I, I really want you to hear my voice the more I just seek for this all to be about Jesus, for his glory. Keep asking the question, how can I know you and please you in this, Lord? Things do change. I'm a million miles from perfect. You will know when I'm perfect because you'll all be at my funeral. Amen. Until then, we've got a lot of patience and love. to to give each other as we work our way through this. Father, I thank you for this time. Lisa, do you want to come up and we'll get going? Um, Why don't we all just stand, okay? And if anybody had anything said to them that was kind of like, I want to talk to you about this, God, why don't we just start right now? We can just confess. If you've got anything to confess, God's given us this gift called confession where you can tell him where you've sinned or done wrong and he forgives you And you can ask him to help you and change, and he does it by the grace of the Holy Spirit. So if you have anything you need to confess, why wait? Why don't we just start telling God right now? And Father, here we are, your people and your family. Father, you know that uh, many of us are, we just need you so much. And God, my greatest desire is that everybody here would know your love as their father, down to the depths of their heart. Lord, your love changes everything. And God, out of knowing that you really love us and you're not going to quit and you want to be with us forever, could you help us to respond by wanting to know your glory and live for your glory and seeing the glory of Jesus being transformed by day by day? Lord, would you help us to respond to the discomfort and pain that you've allowed into our life and help us to see the way forward into becoming like Jesus in it? Lord, your word says in James that we can ask for wisdom when we're suffering and you'll give it to help us understand what you're up to. So God, would you do this? And Lord, would you just come and bless your people as we worship? Amen.